Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, banker-turned-drink-maker shares his path from Arizona State to breaking into a bulge bracket investment bank, how he navigated coming from a non-target school, how he prepped for his interviews, how he networked, and lessons learned along the way. Don't miss this one. There's some great insight. Enjoy. Banker turned drink maker. Thanks for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I've been uh, following your site and you for a long time. So excited to chat today. Awesome. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Yeah, definitely. So I started a state school and, uh, you know, my bio here right now still says anonymous, but I do want to say just so the listeners kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, I was at Arizona State all the way over on the West Coast. And I decided I wanted to go into investment banking and I wanted to go into New York. So networked my way out there, hundreds of emails and calls. We can go more into detail on that, but mm-hmm. eventually ended up with a full-time offer there. Did not intern in the city. So flipped straight to full-time investment banking at a bulge bracket, did about three years there and then jumped into a growth equity shop, really doing series A checks. Having left there after my two-year associate program, I'm now working on my own startup idea, which is kind of the joke behind this anonymous tagline here is I'm, I'm working on a drink company right now on the side, while I also consult some startups doing some outsourced CFO work. So that's what I've been up to. Very cool. So let's start all the way back at Arizona. Um, Arizona State, right? That's correct. Yes. So you were there for four years where when you kind of figured out you wanted to be an investment banker when was that like freshman year sophomore year or late a little bit later so i came in knowing i was i wanted to be a finance major and you know being kind of a driven type a personality wanted to do something in in finance that that was challenging so yeah freshman year you kind of hear about investment banking at a small state school with no parental connection to finance it wasn't the first thing i thought of so kind of go through you know the standard motions freshman year and then sophomore year, I studied abroad. So then I'm coming back, uh, or it was just a semester abroad, but you know, you kind of lose a little, little bit of a recruiting cycle there. So I come back junior year and I wanted investment banking fully. And there was a club on campus that helped um, students like me and you know, prepping for interviews and figuring out how this process works, you know, in addition to things like your website. And I interviewed for that club and I will, you know, looking back now, that interview was about as intense as some of the investment banking interviews I had. So did you, know, did you know it was going to be as intense when you interviewed for that club? Did, was, did it have a reputation before you? 
it, it did, but you know, after having been on the other side, I realized um, it was purposely more intense. I was a junior. I was supposed to, like you said, I was at a state school. I was supposed to go on freshman year and say, I want to be an investment banker and that's all I want. Now I'm a junior and they're saying, we have three months to get you ready for interviews. You better know everything. So, I mean, I'm talking kids asking me technical questions, behavioral questions, and then one kid in the middle of the room would lob, um, you know, like a multiplication question at me at the same time. <laughs> and that was the other thing. It was all peers. It was people with full-time offers already, interned already. You know, there was about 12 of them. The professors in the back of the room not saying a word. He actually kind of almost apologized to me after, like, yeah, you just got roasted. <laughs> and so... <laughs> It sounds like you got in though. So even though you got roasted and you felt like maybe you didn't do as well, was it, did you, did you stumble at, at certain points during that? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it kind of was a, the matter of over-preparation, which in general, I think is key. Right before this chat with you, I actually, I pulled back up my old investment banking kind of interview file. It's mm -hmm. a 200 page document. Like everyone I've spoken to, the conversations we had, dumb little stuff like notes to myself, reminding me how to calendarize something. Um, so everything I did, I was just so overprepared because you, you got one interview. You didn't know if that was your only shot you were ever going to get, at least for me, this wasn't, you know, I'm not going through the full recruiting cycle on campus and we could talk more about that later, but where yeah. 10, 10 banks are coming in and all, oh, you know, I didn't get the top two choices, but I got all these other ones. So right. I prepared like every interview, like it was my only chance I was going to get. So when an interview like this came up, that was intense. Sure. Definitely some stumbles and some, but, but even like, even this internal peer group club you knew this was like kind of your your one shot was to get into this club i i thought so i wouldn't have given up at that point but it was just huge to get into this club the club was it was a club and a class it included a weekly component that was really just a class a finance class is this the and then, banking industry scholars that one yep yeah okay. so uh there's every every university or not everyone but a lot of these universities have smaller programs now yeah and i've talked to kids at penn state and things like that or you know similar schools that have have a club like that but mm -hmm. yeah this was huge so getting in on my own would have just definitely been a, a further grind <laughs> for sure especially they're like why aren't you in that club <laughs> yeah no, exactly so, so tell me like at how many people were in that club what was the what was the success rate of people kind of going through that meat grinder that you did was it like a very low acceptance rate into that or it's, was it high demand or just you had to kind of be in the know yeah. So just general numbers, I would say. And again, another part about it that was helpful was just the camaraderie. If I was just studying for these interviews by myself, it's just, that's tough. Um, so there was, you know, call it 10 to 15, maybe, I think there was like 12 in my class. Right. The class fluctuated plus or minus. I'll speak around numbers because I don't want to kind of put my school too much on, on blast here. <laughs> um, but I would say, so I, I graduated college 2014 the couple years before me asu was lucky if one or two kids a year got a true you know investment banking offer in new york okay. um you know sometimes we'd send someone to sales and trading sometimes private wealth sometimes into utah or a regional branch but it wasn't even every year right. um and then the year before me um you know there was a couple more and then my class i came out with i think four four or five of us um in wow. my class and then they've been doing well since um the classes underneath us have all been you know more consistent since once you get the base is any small state school knows yep. you know you have more people you can call on more recognition and i think you know this is a kind of a i'm not an hr but i think this is a broader statement but i do think and no no disrespect to the brand name schools but i do think hr is willing to take a risk or you know vps and people are willing to take a little bit more of a risk on some state school people now because 
you know, some, there was, there's a point where some groups you'd have six of the seven analysts from the same school sometimes. Right. And now they're willing to say, okay, well, if we have, you know, five from these elite well-known brands and I'll, you know, they're all at the same two schools, the MDs went to, we can take a chance on a state school, school kid or two who's going to just grind and try to try to prove himself. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely a trend. I think the the net has gotten much wider in terms of the the target schools that the the banks are willing to recruit at, and so you you do see a lot more diversity across the analyst class um, in terms of school. Um, so, from and I think I think also part of it is that the the banks are very cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of people coming to banking just looking to exit right away Mm -hmm. and maybe they get the sense that the the state school kids will be so so grateful and thankful and want to (laughs) prove themselves that they'll stick around i don't think that's necessarily that true but maybe anecdotally um there's a slightly higher chance they stick around for a third year or an associate year yeah i I wouldn't be shocked it's it's good for everyone i mean in anything it's good to see see more people coming in from more more places like this so it's, it's exciting and i'm excited for for kids coming in now for sure. So, okay. So it sounds like your year was kind of a breakout year. Um, tell me a little bit. So you, you did, was that sophomore kind of a broad program? By the way, where'd you go? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I went to Rome for a semester. So oh, yeah, not the, not the best life. pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not the best pitch for, uh, you know, my whole story is about grinding and telling these kids to just buckle down. And I'm like, well, so I wanted to study abroad and I wanted to go for a full semester and I wanted to go to Rome and I wanted to go, um, a little bit non-traditional. I went second semester because I didn't want to mess up my football season. I wanted to be there for football season first semester. So, <laughs> so I did, I did base a lot of decisions about that my sophomore year. And then uh, junior year was time to crank and get the offer as early as possible. But was it in retrospect, was it something where you knew about investment banking sophomore year and you just made that, you made that decision that I'm going to enjoy my, my sophomore year and not worry about it till next year? Or what was it? Was it more like you got back on campus and said, wait a second, I do want this investment bank? A little bit of the latter. It was still like it was up there, but I was like, I didn't, I was very naive. I was like, okay, I'm smart and I work hard. I'm in finance. Maybe I'll try to do private wealth or investment banking or consulting, but didn't really know. And I should have, you know, in retrospect, should have been grinding through case studies, but wasn't really sure at that point. So I interviewed when I was abroad. I remember I, I wrote down some notes before this interview. I didn't remember this until you brought up Rome. I was in a hostel in Budapest. The first time I'd ever stayed at a hostel, like 12 bucks a night. Yeah. And they had free Wi-Fi because this was before I had, you know, 5G on my phone. And I had to log in um, and do an interview with like a small private wealth shop. Um, and I had to like interview at this like hostel and was like checking in my email. and like, what, is, what am I doing right now? Like, is this, is this all worth it? Is this going to work out? Um, so lucky I did. I got the internship while I was abroad. So I came back from Rome with zero dollars basically. Mm-hmm. And the next day I started my first finance internship. While you're in school, during school, um, no. So that was second semester. So that was the start of summer. Summer, got it. Second okay, so that was that was your sophomore summer, exactly. Which was important to have that actually lined up because if you had finished sophomore summer with nothing on your resume, you're kind of going into to into yeah. banking recruiting even more of an uphill battle. So that was huge. That exactly. Might. Okay, so you do that over the summer. You come back junior year. You're kind of more refocused, saying, "Wait a second. I don't really want to do this private wealth management thing, I'm guessing. And mm-hmm. like, I'm going <laughs> to, I really want to go over this banking thing. So is at that point, is that when you applied to that club, that scholars club? Exactly. So I'm applying for the club. I'm reading everything. I'm you know, surprised was, they didn't just reject you outright. Why would they take somebody so late? I had, I kind of put in the work in terms of 
it's a small group of people who want to do this. So at that point, when I was interviewing, I met half the people in the club. I knew the professor. The professor knew I'd done well in my other finance classes. I talked to the classes before, the classes in there, and other kids wanting to apply. So it was known, and they it was known that I wanted to get in. Um, you networked internally, was, basically. You you made friends, or you knew that you kind of knew the professors enough to kind of give yourself a shot. Exactly, and they'll they'll look at juniors, but you need kind of an extenuating circumstance and a story to tell, and kind of that drive and to to prove yourself there. Um, so they, it definitely helped. But they still kind of busted your butt a little bit on that interview. They stare throwing <laughs> everything at you. But then the professor apologized, felt bad. And then do you think you performed well enough um, during it? They Obviously you did, but were you surprised that, that you got accepted after kind of that really tough interview? I don't think surprised. I'd say almost just like relieved. Okay. It was kind of like you, you prepped so hard for something. And I think I did deserve to be in. I thought, you know, who knows once you're in, maybe I did get a, a bulge bracket investment banking offer. Maybe I didn't, but right. I thought I could do well. And I thought it, this was kind of the, the hinge point. Um, so yeah, I remember being at an airport and getting the email and being like, okay, now, now you got to figure things out. <laughs> now you got Now you got a shot. You got a better shot. Okay. So exactly. you're, you're in this program, but it's still now junior fall. Right. Um, and you're, yep. what's the game plan here? Are you just blasting emails over LinkedIn what do you you what are the tools you're using are you hitting up every single alumni and sales and trading and banking what's the what's the path that this group uses are you making a trip out to New York tell me everything you guys did yeah definitely so you're especially as a junior you're still you're kind of more on your own in terms of the networking I don't know how the clubs change but at least for me it was kind of more like we'll give you the tools make sure you're not making yourself look dumb or our school look dumb out there you know have a couple calls with the alumni first but our network's not, or at least when I was there, our network was not so much where it was like, okay, talk to this alum at this bank. They'll make sure you're in a good spot. It was kind of like, talk to the alums first, figure out how an informational interview is so you don't sound dumb to someone who matters. So once I kind of did those, I was just reaching out to everyone, any connection I could find. Back then, I wasn't, some people were, I wasn't as big on a LinkedIn. I would basically do my, you know, can't see me, but quote unquote, like creeping on LinkedIn, be like, okay, this person is from the West Coast. This person went to a state school, trying to find anything in our backgrounds that I could relate to, and then just guessing emails. Um, mm. I mean, hundreds of emails, hundreds of calls. I have like, just memories of being like, you know, on spring break with my friends and pulling aside to go take a call. And, and I did go on spring break. But other than that, I mean, I was very much in the zone. This, that junior year was just kind of like, in the car, I'm listening to podcasts about banking on my way to my finance class where I'm still sending emails, um, stepping outside of class to take calls. Um, and then, yeah, eventually, once I built up enough calls and meetings, kind of, I just came out to New York when I was, you know, kind of at that time um, where it was like, hey, I've met enough people over the phone. I need to get in front of them or nothing's going to happen. Um, and then even once I was here, I was still willing to meet anybody. I was talking with someone. Um, and at a coffee shop, he's like, hey, my girlfriend's actually about to swing by. Do you want to say hi to her, too? And I'm like, what's she do? Sure, I don't care. And then, like, the, by the end of this, he's like, yeah, you should meet. Uh, she was like, you should meet his roommate, too. And she puts me in touch with his roommate. It was just anyone and everyone I could talk to at the end why of the day. You, why do you think, what do you think set you apart that they even wanted to introduce you to more people? Do Were you asking for that at the end? Like, the typical, hey, do you have anybody else you think I should talk to? I do. I was, and I think you should. I think I was trying to say this and you know it's hard for for listeners without knowing me to for this to sound uh, modest but I think it was just something I was able to do well in terms of way where it wasn't so much 
I've had so many calls where you it's don't like, have to worry about modesty since you know, people don't even know who you are. So just be, be, <laughs> be honest. Why do you, you, why do you think you're able to kind of, cause I think those informational interviews, there's something there that was besides just putting in the work and getting those meetings in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that can do that and can kind of use some of the templates and get phone calls. But <clears throat> once you're on the phone, some people are great on the phone. Some people are really nervous and awkward on the phone. How do you how do you suggest that young students kind of feel more comfortable? Just reps, just practice, or is there a certain way to go about and hold yourself? It's a great question, and and definitely reps. But it also is just and this is hard, but you have to think of it a conversation. Yes, if if I called someone at a great bank and they're like, Brian, I want to give you an interview right now. Can you come in tomorrow? Great, that's the absolute best the conversation could go. But too many kids, I feel like, because I answer every email still. I get kids from like. FSU or like you're also into state school will you chat and I'm like sure you know some of my banking friends thought it was crazy like you you've got to say no to some of these kids but you know everyone said yes to me so or not everyone but like you know enough people did mm-hmm. um, so I would just say I've had those, enough of those calls where it feels like whoever's calling me has the regimented five questions they want to ask and that you know that they read online and they don't really change them they don't really adapt to the conversation or the tone or the conversation we're having and then at the end they're like and please let me know if there's anyone else i could speak with right okay you know i'm probably not at that point it feels like it feels like a formula exactly and and you no one wants that i just would say and the biggest thing i we talked with you know while we were at the desk we'd talk about this you could just someone someone next to me working next to me could tell how well the conversation went based off how i responded if we were talking about the weekend and i was talking about you know living in New York and when they should come out for a networking trip at the end of the call, I'd probably be like, Hey, you know, Sean's right behind me. Why don't you talk to Sean? But if, if the, they're asking these boring questions, like, you know, kind of regimented, I feel like I'm just analyst 37 B on their list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. So I just say, adapt the conversation, be relaxed, be conversational and, and you know, ask them, Hey, so I'm, I'm from the West coast. If I'm yeah. talking to someone from the West coast, be like, what was the transition? Like, I mean, you're having your first winter in New York, you're working a hundred hours a week. You didn't know anyone. Did you figure out what neighborhood you wanted to live in? Like, how should I think about that when I'm scheduling a trip out there? What, what neighborhood should I stay in? They'll be most efficient. Yeah. You know, things like that, that makes it your person. <laughs> makes it a little bit more, less rote, less, just more like actual, you've given some thought into the, specific person you're talking to <laughs> rather than rather than like okay i'm going to go through my five questions of tell me about the culture of xyz <laughs> bank and tell me about this and people are like oh gosh not another one of these exactly that that i already just kind of ranted about this but that this is my one mini rant and, and you might disagree and other people might disagree but one of my least favorite questions as like a first year second year analyst mm-hmm. is when someone who's just a couple years younger than me goes what's your favorite deal and it's like dude, I've been on the desk for six weeks. I haven't slept in four days. My favorite deal is the one that's over. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I think it's a great question for an MD. I yeah. think Because if you get a right MD, like who's a nice guy and has done some cool stuff, they're going to tell you some, you know, interesting stories about sprinting to catch the private jet and barely getting the documents in time. Six months in or a year in, I don't know how, I mean, me personally, I don't want to talk on my off, you know, quote unquote off time while I'm trying to help you about, the specifics of a transaction. Um, maybe, maybe yeah, I'm just uh, pessimistic about that. And I'm sure other people feel different ways. But. No, if you're young, you want to talk about things that entertain that, that you enjoy. So like you said, neighborhoods, maybe you like 
certain restaurants or eating out at certain places or you're a foodie or maybe you like sports or, you know, just trying to figure that out, I think is helpful. Yeah. Or maybe, sorry, go ahead. I think that's, that's a better way to connect potentially. You can still talk about the bank and the industry. Um, but the more you can make it like a, an actual connection in terms of like potential friends, I think it's a much stronger connection. Yeah, I agree. Or even just making me think, um, in terms of like, what surprised you when you hit the desk? Like, oh, that's a great question. Like, mm-hmm. you know, now it's now I'm more interested than in talking about an MA transaction. <laughs> Fair. Okay. So you're, let's go back to your story now. So you're basically doing something right. Sounds like you're, you're making good connections. People are kind of introducing you to their girlfriends and their girlfriend's roommates in there. And you basically had, did you set this trip up? So you had done enough legwork prior where you, how many, how many meetings had you set up prior to the trip and how many days kind of were you, had you planned to be out there? Ooh, good question. You're bringing me back. I'd say probably like, logistically, I think it's a really yeah. hard to do. So I'm, I'm curious, like how did you stack your calendar and mm-hmm. make it work? Yeah. And that's a good question. I, I've told um, alumni or, or students emailing this before, you know, they think they'll come out on a weekend um, because then maybe they get to enjoy New York some and they think the bankers will have more time. I, I've had, I've taken now dozens and dozens of coffee chats with kids on the other end of the table. I, I maybe met one on the weekend. It was because it was like a friend of a friend from ASU and I was already at the office. So I'd, I'd say don't plan your trip around the weekend or expect to meet people. Um, I think I took full, full, full uh, work days out here. And I probably had, I'd say like maybe two dozen people where it was like we had an explicit or an implicit agreement where it was like, yeah, let me know when you're in town kind of thing. Like okay, we'd so already had that 20, conversation. Like 20 plus people. Yeah. And then, you know, you can't meet all of them and some people get busy. And then once I was here, even people who hadn't agreed to meet me or hadn't responded to me yet, I was like, Hey, I'm literally, I would park outside somewhere in like 30 rock area or some atrium in FIDI and be like, Hey, I'm outside your bank. Wanna, if you need to grab a coffee, I'm like, well, right here, if you have like 10 minutes, I remember talking to someone who they were like, I'll give you my smoke break. <laughs> he was, he's like, I'm, I got to smoke a cigarette in like 20 minutes. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was getting no other meeting. And I was like, yeah, sure. This guy just came down, smoked a cigarette. I was like, all right, you know, clearly just burned out hard. And it was just like, what do you want to know, kid? <laughs> but, Man, that's tough. Cause it's like, you're sitting there, especially if you don't smoke. You're yeah, like, yeah. Um, this guy dead look in his eyes. He's, he's like dying. And he's yeah. like, what do you want to know? Don't <laughs> exactly. keep me long. You're like, you can just go to sleep. Sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. So tell me, um, so out of those four days, you had kind of 20 plus people who said they would meet with you around how many of those 20 would you say? I know you don't know the exact numbers, but like did 10 actually meet up with you or 12 or 15 and like did another three or four kind of last second? Yeah, I would say, I'd say at least half, maybe even more, Mm -hmm. um, call it. I I think I was, I was averaging four or five meetings a day. Um, yeah. And just hustling all day, like going to the city in the morning. And then just, like I said, if I sometimes I'd go three to four hours without a meeting, I would just be sitting there and someone would cancel. And, you know, I'd email three people. Like it's embarrassing. I still have emails where it's like, I'd email like three people and be like, I'm outside your bank. And then like two would email back and you're like, Oh wait, never mind, I'm not like, it was bad. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, it, you want to be as structured as you can. But again, now having been on the other side of the desk, you know, 
you kind of understand like you you could have a meeting with some kid and just never show up because your md taps you on your shoulder and you leave your blackberry for two hours um so it's just it's definitely chaos but i i'd say you want to have at least a double digit number of meetings able to the reason one of the reasons enjoy. one of the reasons i ask you all these detailed questions about logistics is, is a yep. little bit selfish because i have mentees that through the monkey in a millions podcast that i run mm-hmm. right i mentor four kids um, that are in college trying to break in. And I have one guy who's going to New York planning a trip in April and he already has a summer internship. So that's the beauty of it. He's not like trying to get in. Nice. He's really just actually wanting to talk to people in New York. And I'm trying to like coach him in terms of like the number of people he needs to have structured and the number of days. So this is actually really helpful. Um, nice. Data well, he must have a good mentor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got the offer. Um, yeah. All these kids are, all the kids I'm mentoring are super hard workers. So they're all going to do great. But um, so back to, so back to this. So you're, you're kind of meeting with all these people. Is this what ended up turning into kind of the connection at the Bolt Bracket Bank that ended up being kind of your, your foot in the door for a first round interview or kind of how did you, what kind of came out of all of that work, all that legwork? Yeah. And I actually haven't thought of this in a long time, but um, I actually interviewed for an internship with the bank I eventually went to. Um, most of a lot, I don't even think some of my friends know that. Um, Cause obviously I was very bummed about it. Um, yep. Uh, I interviewed there, got to the final round. But when was that? Was that after all this? Like, so your trip to New York, did, did you like get thrown into anything then or like right after nothing. that? Right after then, I, I forget the timing, but I went with the kind of the right calendar in mind where it was, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, let's pull you back. Um, so then, yeah, yeah I, I hadn't really thought of this in a while, but yeah, that, that's a keep on grinding thing. You know, I clearly I didn't flame out where, you know, I made it to the final round and I was kind of close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that could have burned those connections or they could have no interest. But I remember I, I just kept grinding, kept interviewing, kept networking. I think I came to New York another time. And then, you know, it was kind of, very start of the senior year those people tapped me again like we actually you know don't have a lot of slots but we have we're doing some full-time uh direct hire interviews um so you know was was good enough that uh second time so it's just super persevering so tell me about what did you do when you kind of struck out for that IV internship interview um did you did you have backups what were you thinking of in terms of was it, you like you said you were kind of talking to everybody and I assume it wasn't yep. just banking you were kind of uh, willing to go wherever and get take any sort of finance related internship is that accurate? Yeah, I, I hate to to rank them, but I'd say after you know going from like kind of bulge bracket in New York and you know not really having a lot of other fish in pond where I was confident, I'd mm-hmm. say I'd almost just kind of work downstream like oh you know we you were talking to some elite boutiques, we'll talk to some of the smaller boutiques. And it was kind of like, and I, and I was still having these conversations throughout, but it yep. was kind of like follow up more. Um, so it was talking to regional boutiques as well, you know, all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up with, you know, no, no investment banking offer I wanted. Basically I had, I think I had an unpaid internship in LA I could have gone to which is, I, w- I had no connection to LA, so I would just lost a lot of money, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, living out there for a su- summer. Um, and it was, it was a sector I wasn't very interested in. I could have stayed at the small boutique investment bank I was helping, uh, where I was getting, like, no technical skills. I was basically just sourcing. Yeah. Um, and then I had a good private wealth offer. Um, and I, the offer I ended up taking was to go to one of the kind of best fund of funds. Um, it's, it was just a very good name. And I figured at that point, I need the biggest name on my resume. 
you know, I'm not going to gain enough skills at this local. And, and the situation can be different for kids. If you're at a local bank where you're just crushing deals and you're getting tombstones and you're building models, the answer might be for you to stay there. Um, yeah. But I knew that summer wouldn't look like that. So I wanted the biggest name I could where they could go, okay, the, you know, you didn't, yeah, you didn't get it. I was just going to say that's an interest. That's a very interesting point that you realized the actual experience you were going to be getting at these small, these smaller banks weren't going to be like, you weren't going to have a bunch of transaction experience on your resume. Mm-hmm. To speak of. So you just went, exactly. for brand, you just went for brand to try and give yourself rep um, for, for full-time recruiting. Exactly. It was a great offer, interesting team, interesting work. And I ended up getting more technicals there, you know, not really banking technicals, but more technicals there than I would have um, at the local shop and was able to, you know, that story sold well. And it was also a little bit of a hedge because it was a great shop Mm -hmm. and, you know, they would have been willing to, it was a regional office, a good regional office, Mm -hmm. uh, but they would have been willing to try to help me into their, you know, New York office after. So that, that was kind of a hedge as well. Okay, great. So you, didn't get, so were you, um, in terms of your IB internship before we kind of move on to the senior year, were you actually, um, did you get a lot of interviews out of all that legwork? And you said you got one. Um, did you get any others where you like made it to final rounds or was all that work for like one interview, one first round? Yeah, it's kind of depressing and a little bit scary, but there, there were, um, I think I had some other phone interviews but not any, any final rounds or getting called into New York offices like I wanted. Okay. Um, you know, some, some quasi interviews, some first round phone screens. Was that, um, a wake up, it, was that like a wake up call to you? Were you shocked? Oh yeah. All that oh, it, was, it was definitely scary. I, I, I remember I would, I thought I was crushing it at this elite boutique, really good shop, really good team. Everyone was so nice. I'd talked to like five or six people and then, you know, kind of right before interviews, this guy just looks at me and is like, Hey, uh, like at the end of the day, the kids who get the interview are the ones who have someone pound the loudest on the table for you. And I'm be honest, I'm not that guy. And, you know, you didn't go to my school kind of thing and I'm not going to be that guy. It was kind of, you know, essentially different, not really much different words. That's basically what he said is like, Hey, you know, like you said, kind of like, Oh, this is for not, um, you know, you're not going to be getting an interview with us. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, you know, five or six phone calls, three or four coffee chats, really networking my way into the group to be like, oh, you're not even gonna give me a shot. Um, so it's definitely a wake up call. And it definitely, definitely shows the, you know, I'm all you need is one I'm chance. I'm surprised they didn't even give you a shot. Like, yeah, your yeah. first round. Uh, yeah, I was a little, I was a little bummed. I, this is a, it's really were, one of if the you top. Were my, if you were my mentee, I would have told you to stop being, um, so picky with the elite boutiques and the bulge brackets. <laughs> and no, and I, and I'm, I'm maybe focused on the terminology, but I, I talked to everyone. Um, okay. Okay. You, you know, I, I'm I surprised you didn't get any middle market kind of New York bites, maybe just cause you didn't, you weren't there. So it was tough with just the trip, the two trips to, to get enough traction. That, yeah. that might be, be true. Some of the phone screens were more like I, I was talking to people literally Minnesota, Wisconsin. I was talking to everyone, yeah. but maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't spend enough time on kind of some of the lower middle market shops in New York, um, which I did in San Fran and was able to get some traction there, but I really was focused on New, on York. New York. Yeah. Cause if you're, if you're, if you're kind of, if you were able to really have some introspection and see where you are relative to your thing. So like you did all that work at that elite boutique and yet still, you didn't even get a first round interview. Mm-hmm. I think if you had had that perspective going in, you might've been a lot more aggressive with the middle market and regional places just to try and get into a, into a shop that mm-hmm. had um, that would have given you summer uh, summer analyst experience that had some sort of deal transaction experience because I think 100 
I think that would have made you a little bit more competitive going to senior year. It all worked out, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe that maybe that network that networking obviously paid off, I think, long term because you you were you were around the hoop, right? So exactly. You, you got the brand name on your resume, you stayed around the hoop and then come your senior year, why don't you go ahead and take it off from there? So what what happened? Kind of what was the break? Yeah, I mean, I was still doing doing the grind like I had been for really the last year. And, you know, you start getting nervous, but you can't really kind of doubt yourself. Uh, you know, there's definitely like times where I'm like, do I need to start grinding and figuring out how consulting interviews go or something? Right. Um, which is kind of late for that at that point, too. Uh, but just kind of kept at it, then got the call, you know, again, over prep for all these interviews like I have been. Um, got came in, you know, got through the first round got through the you know I thought I was kind of doing really well I remember this guy was kind of a kind of charismatic out there personality he literally goes um he, I'm not going to name drop the the Ivy League school but he literally goes I've been na I've been interviewing kids from so and so and so all day puts his feet up on his desk and goes T talk to me you're from ASU why are you here and I was like okay I'm gonna crush this this is gonna be fine we're gonna talk so that's kind of how the interviews were going I was really excited and then my final round of interview was at the group head a stoic um stoic northern european gentleman and i was just zero sense how the interview is going and i'm like this is my last yeah it was like the head boss it was like let no sense how this thing is going um and i just remember one of the last questions was like all right so if i give you an offer what do you do and i was like prepped for that i just smiled look at him and i was like give me a pen i'll sign right now <laughs> and, and he kind of chuckles um so then i yeah then i get the call um as i'm leaving for the airport um, you know, you, you know, we want you to come out for full time. That's great. So, yeah. So that was early senior year and that's my, you know, kind of advice for people. And this is, and it's funny for the, for the listeners, uh, Patrick actually emailed me <laughs> about what was it? Five years ago, five years ago. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he spoke to our, our club and I, we, he actually found the email and it was a whole amazing email. And I, I, I remember getting this advice. I don't know if I could have attributed it to you five years later, but yes, mm -hmm. uh, he gave me the advice to go in um, and enjoy your senior year because life's about to be a lot different. And that was just so true. And that's my advice for everyone. Get the offer, get the internship, get everything as early as you can um, because college is a lot of fun and you're meeting a lot of people who can still help you career-wise down the road. You know, you still got to go to class every once in a while and do extracurriculars and, but it's a, it's a fun time, you know, go, go to your football games and get that offer and, and, and study abroad if you can do everything you want because once you get that desk full time, that is your responsibility. You know, my job, my job junior year was to get a job. Um, and then I got that and I was able to enjoy my senior year. And then once I got here and had that job, you know, that's it. That, my job was to do well. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't really work on extracurriculars or myself. I worked on, on, on going to the, going to the desk and, and, and catching up that first year. Yeah, it's tough. I, I would love to hear a little bit about just in terms of what those first you know few months were like you know, being the state school kid surrounded by a lot of target school kids. Um, and was there like an extra motivation? Did you feel like you had something to prove? And then specifically, did you feel like you were behind at all? Or did you feel like you kind of belonged? Great questions, all of it. Um, so a couple different things. I would say, if anything, I felt more, I, I don't know if I felt behind, but maybe a little. And if anything, that was because of not having interns, not because of the state school thing. Got it. Um, so actually there was a placement class an accounting class before we went to training. Mm -hmm. I didn't even really realize I placed into like, you know, quote unquote, the, the A team of the accounting team, because I was a finance major. I took accounting classes. Some right. of my peers that interned 
um, didn't take those accounting classes, you know, nothing against them or their school or their program. They just didn't have those accounting classes. They were taking econ. Maybe. You know, I had, I had three accounting classes I took. So I didn't really feel, feel behind in, in that sense. It was more the fact they spent 10 weeks there. They knew everybody. They knew how it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I wasn't, I didn't even know how to save up the proper, you know, format, how, you know, the V, the right version up that uh, they like to use in the group. They knew everything. Um, so I felt more behind in that aspect. Um, so that was, that was definitely a grind. And all, you're all working a million hours. So, you know, it's hard to be like, oh, well, I worked 100 hours this week and they worked 40. So I'm getting caught up faster. No, you're all grinding in there together. But um, I'd say the com- camaraderie is definitely good. Um, there is some, something to be said about the state school kid around, you know, non-Ivies. That was very apparent. And I think that definitely did, it definitely did drive me. I handled it, I'd say, a little bit differently than my other ASU friends my you know a good friend of mine um he'd already interned so he kind of walked around his bullpen like yeah what's up I went to ASU I without having interned and without really kind of having proved myself and known people it was kind of more like you know first couple months is more like kind of like hiding it or hiding behind it and then after that first yeah yeah exactly and then after that first year where I kind of proved myself and was you know had had mentors and and, you know was respected by my peers was kind of like yeah what's up um I'm going back to ASU right now uh, to visit alumni week, it's February. I'm going to go golfing, you know, enjoy yeah. your East coast, enjoy your East coast weather. I had a, I had a good time at school. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, I love it. So in terms of, so it sounds like, you know, you were there for almost three years. Were you considering at any point kind of staying longer going, getting direct associate promoter? What was the, what was the, at what point were you like, Hey, maybe buy side's interesting to me. Yeah, so it's tough um, for kids now because they just get the interview so early. My advice is really just to kind of don't take an offer just to take an offer because you're miserable. Take an offer because it's what you're excited about and what you want to do. I don't know if you can know that after the first couple months, um, so it's tough, but you also don't want to get left behind. So I, I mean, I knew, you know, I think people know pretty early on, about a year in, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a career investment banker. I think I knew that beforehand, but this cements that. But I, I debated and went through everything. You know, I went to um, hedge fund interviews. I interviewed at startups. I did interview at one point, you know, about two year mark for anything and everything where I was like, I just need to get out of here. And then it was kind of like- Did that hurt you? That, that kind of lack of, uh, I'll say lack of focus or do, with recruiters? Were you very specific with them or did you kind of change your story depending on what recruiter you were talking to? Great question. So I actually was consistent with recruiters. So when I first went in, Mm-hmm. all the recruiters I talked to, I said, I wanted to go to a long, short hedge fund in New York. Okay. Um, so it was very focused. So those are, that's all I was interviewing for, for the first couple months. Um, because that's all, you know, I like the stock market. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything enough about the buy side to know where I wanted to fit. I didn't think I wanted to go to a PE buyout shop because I was on the other end of that. And I was like, well, I'm not loving this here. Am I going to love the other side of the table that much? So that's kind yeah, of so all I knew. That's, that's, you know, you said something interesting. You said, don't take an offer if you're just cause you're miserable. But I, mm-hmm. you know, take it if you're going to love it. But I think it's really hard for kids, you know, 22, mm-hmm. even, even if a year into your banking gig of like, all you know is banking. So what is PE really like? I mean, it's very hard to know, I think, until you're in that seat. So is anything you could kind of just open their eyes a little bit in terms of what it's like? I mean, obviously yeah. it depends day to day, but what type of person would like, you know, private equity versus hedge fund? Do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, the reason I was interviewing for hedge funds was because I did like that analytical work. I liked the the uh, you know kind of right. um, 
following the market. I was doing that even in banking. Um, and I was getting some traction. I wasn't crushing these interviews by any means, but I was, I was getting, you know, um, case studies and going to second rounds. It hedge funds interviews are definitely a grind because you know, there's, it's not as kind of formal as the PE. Um, so I'm interviewing and I'm kind of, you know, wading through the water here. And this is, you know, my story was always that. And then it was kind of like that I wanted to go to the hedge fund. Now I'm kind of taking a step back a year and a half, two years in, and I'm starting to get, you know, just crushed. And it's kind of like, okay, I need to leave after my second year. That's what people do. I need to leave out, you know, looking for interesting startup gigs on this, uh, or do I want to go to a buyout shop? And I actually, I never interviewed for a true buyout shop, only growth equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, um, some VC, you know, kind of smaller ones. Um, before you, before you continue, you said you're getting crushed. Was this like 90 hour weeks consistently? I, I would say plus, um, plus, wow. yeah, we, we definitely had some, I mean, I, I was on a pretty big transaction at one point mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like, you know, the, the hundred hour weeks was actually like a thing, you know, everyone's like, I worked 120 hour weeks every week, you know, it wasn't like that, but yeah, it was. I remember I just told the story the other a couple of weekends ago. We had some some friends who didn't really you know kind of know what we were talking about when we we're like we used to be really busy in banking. Um, I was telling the story about how I thought I was going to meet my friends out, you know, get a deck at you know six p.m. on a Friday and be like, oh, it's fine. I'll meet you guys after dinner. And then it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. And I was like, it's fine. You know, I was twenty one, twenty two years old. I was like, yeah, I'll meet you guys at at midnight. I don't care. Bars are open till four in New York, and it'd be right. two o'clock. And then looking down and it'd be 4.30 in the morning on a Friday night being 22 years old and being like, I just worked till the bars closed and I have to come back in tomorrow morning. Like that's a, that's a tough realization. So you, when you're doing that, yeah, you're except you're, you're responding more to recruiters emails outside of your interest zone. Um, <laughs> so, so that, that's kind of happening, but then I take a step back and start reading about what I really want to do. And it kind of came down to, I think I would have really, really liked to work for a hedge fund for a couple of years. I don't think just personality temperate wise, I was going to be in it for 10, 15 years to be a PM of some fund. Okay. So I kind of thought about what I wanted to do long term. And that's more what I'm doing now is trying to start my own company or work for a really early stage startup. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the path to do that's not really a hedge fund. It's not really a buyout shop. So I started reading more about growth equity. Mm-hmm. So then I tell the in, in VC, I decided I didn't really want to do VC and I wasn't really willing to move to San Fran. So then I tell the recruiters, I want a growth equity shop and I want it in New York. And then they're like, great. You, what about this hedge fund in Philly? You know, sometimes. Um, so so, so it, it's, it's tough sometimes. And I, I, I went back to networking mode. I wasn't really getting a lot of the opportunities I want. I was getting some interesting stuff. You know, maybe it'd be a little bit too large or maybe it'd be in San Fran or maybe it was a sector I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I just really Googled best growth equity shops in New York. I mean, as you know, there's just not a ton. Most of those ones are more in San Fran right? Um, or SF. So the San Francisco listeners will shoot me for calling it San Fran. Uh, <laughs> well, that's fine. And why, why were you so focused on staying in New York and the East Coast so young in your career so early? Yeah, I, I really just fell in love with New York. I always wanted to get out here. I was born in California and assume I might go back out there eventually. Yeah. Um, San Francisco disenfranchised me a little bit. You know, I kind of went out with the intention of being like, could you live here? And kind of being like, not really. I miss New York. Mm. Um, so I was pretty, pretty set on that. You know, if I was more miserable, you know, six months prior when it was like, I'll take anything and a, a PE shop in Miami made me an offer. It's at 23, 24. It's hard to say no to. Yeah. Um, but kind of just staying focused and, and looking for the right opportunity. 
Google best growth equity shops, find this, you know, email. I wonder, people if, I wonder if WSO popped up for that search, possibly. Let's see. It, 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 it might have, it, it honestly might have. I might've gone through one of your guys' list. Yeah. Um, so, so I have a couple calls and then this one guy was just, I'll never forget. He was just like, Hey man, what's up? Do you want to, if you want advice or do you want a job? And I was like, what? And he's like, I'm, I'm running our firm's um, hiring process for an associate right now. Like I'll give you advice, but like we're trying to hire someone like now. And he's like, I'm doing, I'm conducting the interviews like this week. So like, do you want to chat? And I was like, yeah. So on that spot, that became an interview, not like a phone interview. That was like a, an actual interview. And what was the end of the, what did he ask you? Technical? It was bias, a, like, li a little bit, stuff? but not too much. You know, it was a, a technical or two to make sure I wasn't dumb kind of thing, not grilling me, just yeah. kind of behavioral. Why do you, do you really want growth equity? Do you know what we do? Um, right. Behavioral, talk me through some deals, make sure I'd actually had some experience. It was funny. You know how you're on the phone call and I hope kind of I'm conveying my points. Well, you know, you have, you have a lot more experience with this. So I can tell that, you know, your audience connects with you, you, but it's hard to tell how a phone call is going sometimes. And I could just vividly picture this guy at the end of this phone call, him like groaning and slapping his head, like, Oh God, the kid did good. Now I got to squeeze him into this process. Like they don't, he already had his, he'd already had the schedule made up. He'd already like submitted the resumes to like, the partners of the fund and he was just like oh, one of this kid to kind of like bomb it so like i didn't have to worry about it he's like all right man um it was friday afternoon he's like okay um i gotta talk to everyone um let me get back to you he was like stressed about it he's like and oh that, god you're making my life harder <laughs> exactly exactly he's like oh god but you were uh, ready but, and it, how how far along was this at your you know your bullet bracket analyst were you two two and a half years in at this point Oh yeah. So I should mention that that was yeah. right around the three years. So I was a, kind of an early promote to associate, which was kind of just what the banks were doing at that time. You know, yeah. I wouldn't, uh, it was going well though. Uh, my, my third year with there was my best year. Okay. Um, after two years in, you know, you're better at your job, you're more efficient, mm -hmm. built up some cachet with people. And I personally, for the, you know, we're talking about exit ops, but for people who want to stay, I personally liked associate much more than being an analyst. It's not for everyone. There's a lot of issues with it. But personally, I don't like fact set pools and graphs and charts and formatting. I like a little bit of reading equity research and strategic thinking. And, you know, um, and, I, and I like being a mentor. I like talking. I like talking to students. And I liked, uh, you know, I was kind of the guy who was supposed to run our internship class, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Um, and things were going better, better hours. Um, and then I got this offer right after the kind of the promote and the full third year is over, but before I sign on the dot to get the associate um, bonus kind of thing. Okay. Um, so in between there and then um, took six weeks off and kind of backpacked around Southeast Asia and then decided, you know, or, and then came back and the next day was my day at the, the new firm where I, I did my two year program. Wow. So you, well, obviously let's go back to, so the guy did the call with you. He's like, Oh man, I got to fit you into this process. Now this, this mm -hmm. fund. And so was it like interviews the following week? Yeah, exactly. And I was actually back to being busy. I think I was, I was put on a bake off at the time. So how did you get um, out? How did you, when did they do it at night? Yeah. Weekend? No, it was, it was just late. Uh, it was late afternoon. And the only issue I had was I, you know, I had to step out and people kind of know, um, you know, everyone thinks they don't know, but everyone knows. Everyone knows. But, <laughs> yeah. But uh, he actually had me meet the whole firm and I didn't realize that. So they had, I think they had their interviews all scheduled for Monday. And then like he had me come in Tuesday afternoon and I didn't realize it was literally 
walk from office to office and interview with every single person. So I think I, you know, I think I set up out for like 90 minutes. I came back two and a half hours later and it's kind of like, you know, at that point, your VP is looking at you and your analyst is sitting on his hands wondering what to do. You know, I gave them work to do in the meantime, which definitely helps. But yeah. you're kind of like, you know, what can you do at this point? Um, you know, you're kind of going for it. Um, and, I, and I still stayed and, you know, I ended up being in the office till two or three that night. Um, so just, you know, moving the hours later. Um, yeah. Is there a risk of, of doing that? Do you feel like are there some places, some banks that would just cut you or you felt like your relationships were strong enough to withstand that? That. I felt like my relationships were strong enough and you have to be smart about it. You know, I, I cranked before and did the work that I could do while leaving work that things are going to progress. And I, I, I forget uh, who was working with me at the time, but they were great where I felt like, okay, uh, if I'm gone two hours, maybe three hours of work isn't done, but it's not going to be 60 minutes of work. You know, there's going to be some progress here. Right. Um, okay. So I felt a little bit more comfortable. Um, but yeah, it is a definitely a risk at some places. Fair. Yeah, I remember at Rothschild, um, I had to do all that working 90 plus hour weeks somehow going out. I remember I had a hedge fund interview in like Connecticut. I had to take a train out at like 6 a.m. before. No. And I had like, I had complete, I had um, completely like not even, sl- I'd slept like four hours or something or three hours before you yeah. had to go out on a train, come back, then do a full day. It was, it was just brutal. How'd you do? I didn't do very well. I think, I <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I think with the hedge fund stuff, I took hedge fund interviews as well. I just, my, my pitches weren't polished enough, you know, in terms of the long and the short pitches. Like I don't even think I had anything good. So like I quickly flamed out on most of the hedge fund interviews because I didn't even know what to, how to prep. And I was, I was much more prepared for the private equity interviews because just talking about my deal, talking about complex capital mm-hmm. structures, I worked in restructuring, so it was easier. Oh, nice. So I could kind of pull on those, those experiences to make a case. Um, but yeah, so this is cool. So you, you end up kind of getting the offer and then did you quit like soon after? Or, Cause I mean, you, you basically had pretty aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> pretty aggressively soon. It was kind of like, I had a big project, the bake off and it ended up that. So I got the offer on like a Tuesday mm-hmm. and the bake off was Thursday. And I was like, Hey, look, like I'll do my two weeks, but like, I already have my firm start date at the other firm and you don't need me for, you're not going to staff me for a week. I literally listed out what was going on on all my, you know, cause at that point you kind of had not just deals, but kind of companies. And I was kind of listed out, like no one's doing anything right now. This bake-off is what I'm doing. That's why you put me on this bake-off. Cause I didn't have much going on before it. I will finish this thing strong. Um, and I'll stay two weeks if you want me to, but yeah. can can we just make Friday my last day? I'll go out on a positive note and I can go on my trip a week earlier and I'll be happy. And they're like, so you're not staying till summer to help us with the interns. This is like March. Yeah. I was like, I was like, no, I'm sorry, guys. Oh man. I will say that though, the, you think, so at the time I was nervous, you know, I'd done the three full years. And I thought I built up these good relationships, including, you know, some important relationships with people I'm still in touch with. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, there's going to be analysts and associates much better than me that leave and, and, you know, ones who weren't quite maybe as good as me, but regardless of how good you are, how good you think you are, investment banking wheel keeps on turning, whether you're there or not. Like, you know, I thought, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a delay or, you know, a little bit of people being off. I came back for welcome drink or going away drinks for a good colleague two months later, which I, I never did again. It was just a really good friend left two months after me. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this. You know, I had enough people texting. I was like, I'm going to go to this. 
some of the VPs didn't even acknowledge me in terms of not that they were mad at me, but didn't even acknowledge that they hadn't seen me in too much. It was just like, oh, hey, Ryan. Like, they're just like, no one had even noticed, you know. No you're one even like, like skipped a beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they're just, they're out there cranking to try to get home to their wives as soon as, their husbands as soon as they can. And, you know, they're just like, oh yeah, I haven't seen Ryan around the office in a while. It's like, no, he quit two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what, what it, the jump to growth is. So you're working those crazy long hours. You jump, you're now kind of in a two-year growth equity program. Tell me what, what growth equity is like. Less modeling, more modeling more just like just you know tearing through sims every day what's what was it like day to day yeah so i i was really fortunate in some aspects and had a little bit of a different experience than some in, in other aspects i would say not too many sims we had a really good biz dev guy mm-hmm. so we basically did i had a look at banker sent deals but it was kind of like you're looking at it poking holes in it because we didn't want to do it anyway um we we don't want a competitive process at the firm we didn't at the firm i was at mm-hmm. we wanted because you're paying higher multiple you know the I'm yep. stealing this quote, I think, from our biz dev guy, but it was, you know, by definition, if you win a competitive process, it's normally because you pay the most. So, right. um, so we didn't want that. So it was a lot of him, and I. It also helped because I didn't have to do much biz dev. I did, you know, some in the aspect that I wanted to or liked it, but it was really him churning and burning through deals and our partners bringing deals. So not a lot of sims, but I'd say reviewing a lot of decks and a lot of bad company models where they're sending stuff to us. And, you know, I have to figure out how to digest it. Um, but it was a great experience. I was, I was fortunate my first year there, we closed three, we all call platform deals, you know, series A. So you can kind of do the math on that or the, the students can and um, three of those and then one or two follow ons. So, you know, I had this first year where I learned a lot and I was busy and I got deals for the resume. But I also was like, I'm going to the gym now. I can go to dates on a weekend. Like yeah. my bosses are fine with me leaving early on a Friday. This is amazing. So um, I, I really enjoyed the transition, you know, the, the flip side and you know, what I left behind is I did take a pay cut. I was at a, you know, kind of a small growth equity shop as opposed to going, you know, friends going to a buyout shop. We were still working late hours, but you know, they took a pay increase. You know, I, I took a pay decrease, but a huge lifestyle increase. So let's talk about the the pay um, from your analyst days all the way up through the growth equity shop. Can you give me a range in terms of, I mean, I think everyone knows salary at both brackets. What is it? 85 or 80 back then or 75? So when we signed the dot, it was 70. And then it was like, I think while we were at training. While you were there. Yeah. I think even at training, they're like, oh, sorry, we're doing 85 now. Um, Wow. (laughs) You're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, great. Um, So I've been pretty specific in this. So I'm going to be kind of vague on the numbers here. Um, But I would say, if anything, my, you know, first year came in slightly less than what I would expect and what you would expect is, you know, kind of the average. You know, maybe I probably thought my first year was probably in the middle and I probably didn't end up in that middle range and then by the time i my you know my third year the bonus right before i left that had grown to kind of you know kind of the top for not just my my group in that year but kind of four third years at the bank mm-hmm. um so uh, you know some big growth there to where you know it was a substantial substantial sum and you're looking at a very substantial sum you're leaving behind because mm-hmm. i would have got an associate bonus and then the associate which pay is, bump. Which is how much associate bonus? Like the stub? I, uh, it was like a signing bonus. So it wasn't huge. Like 20,000, um, 25,000. Yeah, I think that was about right. Yeah. And then, you know, you get some time off, you get a huge, huge salary increase. And then the potential, you know, I saw what the, my third year, I saw what my bonus could be and could be going forward. Yeah. Um, so We've that went. Multiple six figures at some point. Um, so like even 
well over a hundred thousand up to two hundred k um, for for associates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I was already saying that you know my hours are getting a little bit better. And I like the lifestyle a little bit better. Um, yeah. But it was kind of the longer you stay, the longer you're you know kind of sucked into that bonus. And and you know people can ask about that or think about that too. But you know there's there's pluses and minuses. But I was I was ready to leave. So how big um, how big was the pay cut jumping to growth equity shop? I know it's a smaller it's a lower middle market shop. So my guess is salary was was lower or did they try to match in salary and just had less of a bonus? I would say closer to that. I was I, I was so my advice to and people will read this online and people told me this before I started, but you, once you move to New York, you're young, you're it doesn't really matter what your salary is, it kind of just gets blown. You kind of end up blowing your salary, but just save your bonus. Mm-hmm. Just whatever your your bonus is park the entire thing into your robin hood e-trade account and to you know um put the re- and then put the rest in your high yield savings um because your your salary you know you don't think your lifestyle is increasing but all of a sudden you're like well, well i hope that check that used to be too big is, is now gone so um at that point i'd switched and now i had this bigger salary so it was like okay you need to start saving the salary because the bonus that comes is not going to you know, refill all the coffers. So it was a much right. lower amount, but it also takes some of the stress out because, you know, banking, you go in, like, am I going to get zeroed out? Am I going to get five figures or am I going to get six figures? You know, that's pretty right stressful. Yeah, it was, it was much, yeah, much lower beta in growth equity. Got it. So you're there for a couple of years. What is it known kind of going to this, that it's a two-year program and out, or is it, um, what was your thought process in terms of next steps? And when did you start thinking about that? It sounds like you got some great experience in your first year ever consider business school or were you kind of itching to do your own thing always? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I have friends in business school now and tons of friends who did it. It just wasn't right for me. Um, I, I never really considered it. It was more kind of like I was, I would talk to people to, to further rule it out. You know, I'd love to take two years and go travel and, and meet a bunch of people and improve my network. At this point, you know, it's very unlikely and unless I do this startup that I'm working on and then do another startup and do another startup and all of them fail and I'm like, okay, I need to reset somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, but at that point, you know, you're going to pretty substantial debt for it. So I never really considered business school. I knew I wanted to go to a startup, but I wanted to go so early stage where it was, you know, the firm I was at, it was like, you know, we're writing these checks for these companies that are, you know, already valued in the tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. The equity piece I was getting or could get at a company like that's not substantial enough. So I knew I wanted to kind of be seed or pre-seed, which is very early. Mm-hmm. So I left with the intention of starting this business idea I had while networking and consulting startups on the side, just being very cognizant of, you know, a lot of startups fail. This is a, a startup in the beverage space. I don't have beverage experience besides working on consumer deals. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hedging that bet a little bit there. And when you're looking for a seed or pre-seed company, it's not like I just call up the recruiters, you know, I'm doing research and networking and waiting for the right opportunity as well. So it's not you know, for the first time, I, I think I wrote a little um, LinkedIn post at the time, you know, for the first time in my life, it was like, I'm waking up and not really knowing what the next step is tomorrow. But you know, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> so are you, you're looking for a company to, to kind of have that seed investment and in. you're not looking to kind of start it from zero, you want something that's kind of started and in, in, in an operator in place. So that that's my like hedge right now. I'm right now I'm full steam ahead 100% working on my own company mm-hmm. um, that I'm trying to start. Um, but yeah, if, if that were to kind of fall apart, I'd want to, you know, be the second, you know, a co-founder, the third hire, the fourth guy who's the finance person mm-hmm. that helps them get that seed round in that series A, as opposed to coming in and getting, you know, 10 bips of equity. Um, I want a substantial piece in the next one, which is why I'm working on my own thing. That's fair. How's it going? 
it's going well. It's exciting. I mean, I, it was, I was in research mode for so long and, um, you know, now it's like I'm incorporating, I'm picking which logo I want. I'm, I am, I had a fiasco the other day because the bottle I sent to my guy may not work. And, you know, it's, it's, it's problem solving and challenges that you're not used to from your prior life. Like, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the logistics of all this, working on designing a Shopify page. It's exciting. It's fun to, fun to move things forward. That is cool. I want to, I want to see what it is once you're, once we're off this call, uh, you can shoot me a link, but, um, this sounds good. So tell me a little bit about like, uh, what's, what's next for you. Just keep grinding with this, see, see what happens, kind of support yourself as a kind of freelance on the side while you're building this up and then kind of just take, uh, just take what comes and see, see how it, it all kind of where the pieces fall in a couple of years. Exactly. So the, the plan now is to, I have a couple of landmarks with this, this idea I'm talking about in terms of like basically bottles of sold, you know, there, there's leaps and bounds you have to make with minimal bottle orders. So I need to show some progress, realize I have some traction, realize I have an audience or mm-hmm. kill this idea as soon as possible, you know, right. Fail, fail fast. if I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, 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 you know, I'm hitting milestones and making progress and growing then keep at this for a while and see what, see what happens. Um, if I'm not, I need to be smart enough to kill it quick. Then I'll probably go lay on a beach for somewhere for a week. And then <laughs> I will, because like I, you know, because like we talked about, I saved those bonuses yeah. uh, and you know, it's important and you know, it is scary not to have a W2 anymore, but there's a little bit of freelance, you know, income coming in every once in a while. It's kind of, I'm not chasing it right now because I am working on this idea yep. full time, yep. but as it comes in, if I could take on a, a model, you know, we have that background now where it's easy, easy to knock out. Very cool. Um, so then if that all, you know, like I said, if I'm on that beach and trying to figure out next steps, I would just have to find a company that I'm excited about. You know, I'd, I'd take the, the two, three months, whatever it takes to find somewhere where I'm employee number four at this cool sports gambling startup and they need that finance guy and it's in New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that perfect opportunity that checks uh, 10 of the 10 boxes isn't out there, but I, I need to check enough of those boxes that I'm excited to, you know, kind of hop out of bed every day and have, have a piece of equity in it. I totally agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. So tell me a little bit about, um, or if you could, before we call it, I think if you could look back and give advice to your younger self, maybe while you're at Arizona, what would you, what would you say? Would, would you have changed anything? Would, is there advice you'd give? That, that's tough. Um, hmm. I mean, it seems I, I like you, you've, you've kind of done what you wanted to do and succeeded. So yeah, uh, I, I've had a lot of help along the way, so I'll say that, and I and I appreciate that. But I would say the biggest thing is just to keep grinding. Um, you know, if I did, not getting that interview at that bo- elite boutique didn't didn't matter because I did every it did matter, but I wasn't upset because I did everything I could. So don't ever leave anything on the table. I went into every interview with the mindset that if I don't get this, you know, if I don't move on, it's not because I didn't do enough. Um, you know, something maybe something out of my control, but you know, I wanted to walk in. Like it was almost like they made a mistake if they didn't give me an offer. And you to do that, you just have to be overly prepared. Um, and not that I was, you know, I'm not saying I'm always the best, best candidate who had walked into every room, but I think you need to have that mindset while also being humble um, to get an offer. You know, you can't walk in and tell them you're the best candidate in every room, but you need to be confident and poised with your preparation. That's, I guess, my biggest thing was just, I don't think I got that internship junior year because I wasn't confident. I was, I walked in, I was probably trembling. I was probably so nervous. Um, so then I, you know, took the time and prepped. I literally made a list of questions of every question I didn't want to be asked mm-hmm. and wrote out a response to it. So I, and I prepped those so much 
that I almost wanted to be asked them. So yeah. if, if you're, if that's your mindset and you're prepping like that, um, then for everyone listening, you're going to be okay. Things are going to work out. You know, it, it's scary and it, the unknown sucks, especially for type A driven people like are on your, on your site and listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but if you grind and prepare like that, things are going to work out well. So that's why I tell my younger self is to don't be so, don't be so nervous. Things work out if you, you keep this up. Yeah, I agree with that. I think prep can kind of build that confidence. And I think a lot of people kind of do a couple mock interviews and practice with their friends and they go in and then they get blown out and they're, like, <laughs> they're nervous and they're not really ready for prime time mm -hmm. until they've done like 10 interviews. And sometimes then it's the problem is, you know, they've missed their, their shot. But if you, if they keep grinding, mm -hmm. keep networking, they can get back, they can get another shot if they stay around the hoop. Exactly. Um, I like that. Yeah. So awesome, man. I think we'll end it there. Thanks so much for yeah. taking the time. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.